Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking the Witcher. I am your host, or one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California. And I am so happy to be here with you today. We're going to be talking about episode two of the Netflix series. And joining me is my one and only co-host with the co-most, <laughs> Jen. How you doing, Jen? Awesome, awesome. Welcome to Four Marks. Kind of excited to talk about this episode. So there's a lot to digest, even though there isn't a lot going on, uh, sort of narratively. But there's California. a lot to sort of understand. So I... Let's get to it. All right, let's let's do this. Um, so uh, we are continuing, uh, of course, in talking about this series, and uh, you know, uh, um, this. Uh, one thing that I've noticed as someone who is new to this series is that they're getting right to these characters who I can imagine are going to have major impacts on the storyline going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, we're going to, we're really getting an idea of how the world works that, you know, um, that they all exist in and some of the rules, some of the ways that people are viewed and whatnot. And, you know, as a typical fantasy show, you know, we're seeing the, you know, a lot of the, you know, elves and bards and, you know, and whatnots. And, uh, you know, it's it's really feeling like a a uh, a fantasy epic. And uh, in this episode, which is called Four Marks, as we said, uh, it continues on what was established in the first episode. So I will give the floor over to you to Jen to you Jim. well <clears throat> let's uh let's talk about what four marks means um at the beginning of this episode basically we're introduced to a character named yennefer yennefer is the very poor i would say and uh twisted she has what she calls twisted spine she has basically a hunchback um and some other physical deformities and she is clearly an outcast where she comes from and she's the uh, daughter of a pig farmer. So what happens is she is tormented as a lot of people who have physical deformities. One of the things that I think is uh, is sort of portrayed pretty well, um, just in terms of levels of acceptance and you know the, the kind of things that people do to each other. And she's scared enough that she basically has what's called a conduit moment where she portals. Um, This is one of uh, Yennefer's sort of almost signature skills. Um, It's something that she does with, uh, I don't want to say great ease, but it's something that she's able to conjure pretty easily. Um, But at this moment, she doesn't really know what she's done. She ends up being uh, transported to a cave, and she has absolutely no idea how she got there. Um, The thing that is uh, a bit interesting, I think, about how this happens is like us, she doesn't understand the magic either that brought her there. So as she learns about the magic, we learn about the magic. And that's I think that that's actually kind of a, a nice way to do it, quite honestly. Um, what did you think of uh, just sort of our introduction to who Yennefer was? Oh, was really, uh, I mean, first of all, you feel sorry for her as a character and what she's going through. And so right away you know, your attention is drawn to her. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, 
at first I thought maybe she was dreaming it was happening. And mm. then when it's explained what was actually going on, you know, with the, um, the whole, uh, um, portals and whatnot, Ooh, excuse me, sorry. Um, then I, it made me wonder, okay, what's going on now? You, now you, you state that this is her ability in which that she, you know, can do. I, I imagine that as we go along, we'll see more of that ability that she has. Yeah. And the reason that I said that, that this is, you know, kind of her signature um, is because it, it is sort of, this is the very beginnings. This is the humble beginnings of how she, uh, it's one of the things that comes with ease to her is being able to portal. So it, in terms of this being her conduit moment, and we hear a little bit later um, as the, the group is gathered, as the group of uh, girls is gathered, that they all have had conduit moments and you hear what those conduit moments were. And some of them are kind of telling and then some of them are, you know, kind of like, the, obviously they just all had their moments of magic. But I, I wanted to call out the actress here. Um, her name is uh, Anya Shalotra, I think. Um, and she, this is, this the person who plays young Yennefer is different from the person who plays uh, the Yennefer that we will see later in the series. And she is actually just amazing in this role. The, it, it's, I think it's always difficult to play a disability. And I mean, I, I'm not making this uh, about sort of what the wider implications here are, but the the character itself is so tormented and anguished uh, about the life that she has led so far and everything from the way that she cries in the beginning to the way that she tries to take her own life and all of the little moments in between are just absolutely breathtakingly played by this young actress. I was really, really impressed that they found someone who really captured the essence of it, it because it's, this is hard. This is not easy. It's not easy to represent someone in such an abstract way when we know that, you know, if you haven't lived a life of torment, it can't be easy to just sort of channel that, you know, it's not like saying, well, channel some rage or chat. This is, this had to have been pretty difficult. So, yeah. And this is, a little bit different than some of what we know happens uh, in the book series, but in terms of the Netflix series, I just wanted to call out the actress. I really liked her a lot. What did you think? Oh no, she's she's been fabulous. Uh, that, I mean, right you know right away, you you see you see the anguish in her face, and, right? And uh, so. I think that she's done a she did a great job in this first episode for sure. Also, um, you know, something that is sort of interesting about the way that now we'll get into uh Saya, but the the rectress of Aratusa, who is Saya, uh, when she finds uh Yennefer, she finds Yennefer because basically Yennefer was able to do magic. She the she can find people when they what's called disrupt chaos or channel chaos in a way that hasn't been felt before. They leave a mark, uh, according to the series, on chaos itself. So they 
alter it or leave a ripple or, you know, change it in some way. And that's how she finds them. Um, what is so fascinating to me about that idea is that the chaos magic is so strong and yet it leaves a personal signature attached to it that uh, th as we kind of go through the series, you'll, you kind of understand why they don't just use magic as a cure-all, why magic isn't just a, hey, you know, if something is happening and you don't want it to happen, why don't you just use magic? Um, it really does take a toll and it takes a personal toll. And we kind of saw that when, uh, with the rock scene where Tasea is able to lift the rock by counterbalancing it and using the flower. She basically uses up all of the life energy in the flower and the rock is able to rise. But Frangilla, who is the girl who does it the first time and says, oh my God, look, I did it. She doesn't use the energy from the flower first and it ends up hurting her directly. And so this is kind of an important piece to kind of keep in mind, I guess, um, because magic is not just uh, a panacea to sort of apply to every situation. Uh, and I, I think people could get that, right? Did you get that? Yes. Yeah, I picked that, picked up on it. They made it very clear. That, that was pretty clear. I, I liked that. I think they did a really good job of basically giving us a kind of a starter introduction to chaos magic. I feel like they did a super good job. Yes. Um, so what we also along those lines, what we see when, uh, when Yennefer comes in to, or when she first does the portal, she actually portals into, um, a, a young member. I would, you know, kind of like there's the girls version and then there's the boys version. There's the brotherhood and then there's the, uh, the, um, sorceresses of Artusa. And, um, this young man's name is Estrid and he is, he plays quite a prominent role uh, throughout this episode, just in terms of bolstering Jennifer's both self-esteem and abilities. Um, and I, I did real I kind of liked that relationship. Although I have to say that it, it feels to me like, I don't know which one is more lonely him or her. I, I, it just it felt like there was a uh, like that was in stark or well, not stark. It felt like there was a serious balance between the two. I don't know. Did you see that, too? Um, yeah, I, I've they felt like they were kindred spirits, you know, like, yeah. uh, th you know, they were going through somewhat. I don't want to say similar things, but they were, you know, somebody who. Uh, who kind of needed each other. If I don't know if you could say that yeah. they needed each other. Well, yeah, he, I mean, clearly he, I feel like he is just absolutely so lonely. Like this is, she is sort of the only one who has a, uh, has the ability to, um, to portal in and be able to see him on his own, uh, on his own turf. I'm going to skip ahead just a tiny bit because I, forgot something but this is also i think super interesting we see strigobor again in this episode um we haven't last episode we saw him when he asked the witcher to kill renfrey and this episode we see him basically saying 
to Astrid, okay, you've been working on her for months. What do you have for us? And he reveals what he reveals. But uh, that is, it's kind of interesting because it tells you that, that all of the mages uh, are sort of all connected through this one place. Well, they're all connected. I shouldn't say they're all connected through this one place, but they are all definitely connected. You can feel that there is a kind of a, a close kinship between powerful mages altogether. So that seemed kind of important. Um, what? How did you think about just in terms of the 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 running piece about how Yennefer arrives at Aratusa and what her training kind of was? Because you know, overall, there's so many small pieces to this, but the big thing is how we as the audience feel about how she was trained. I mean, she was belittled, uh, to say it calls her piglet, you know, there's all of this stuff. And do you, what effect do you think that that had on the character? Um, look, the woman's already gone through so much. So I think this just kind of goes to some of the other things that she's gone through. She's obviously, I think some of those experiences, unfortunately, uh, that she went through has made her stronger. Not to say that, uh, not to say that it's a good thing, but um, I, I feel like, you know, that is all part of the training, right? So it's all part of getting her at a place they're trying to get her to. So, um, you know, I think that uh, in, in the end, it's going to work out well for her. Well, uh, on the one hand, there's a telling moment, I think, in this episode where Saya says to Yennefer, there are people like uh, some of the other girls who basically ignore or sideline their emotions. And then there are people like us who emotions are sort of at their that's their power center their power center is their emotions and I feel really strongly that the series was really trying to make a strong case for Yennefer and Saya as very kindred spirits and some in some ways I feel like maybe Saya was sort of uh, testing Yennefer in a way that perhaps she had been tested and that's why she thought it would work because she thought that they were similar enough that things that had happened to her perhaps she could push Yennefer with I don't know it's not there isn't a specific moment that says it it's just it just feels very implied there mm -hmm. did you see that at all <clears throat> that that's implied um, well, that to say that maybe to say is acting in a way toward Jennifer that maybe she had been uh, like, you know, because it's different with the other girls than it is with Jennifer. She clearly treats her very differently. It might be one of those situations where she has the most potential. So you push like a lot of coaches do that. The ones that have the most mm -hmm. potential, they tend to push them a lot harder. One is they feel like maybe they can take it, but also that extra attention may lead to some success. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. So we, we cross cut uh, this episode with Jennifer getting her training and accepting, you know, that she is more than just a conduit that she can actually do what's called ascend. 
Um, and the the way that we get this crosscut is with Geralt meeting Yesker. Now, I'm just going to pause for a moment and say, <laughs> this is absolutely one of my most favorite relationships, both in the series and in the books. Um, in the books, it's it's a bit different, but uh, and his name is actually not Yesker. It's Dandelion, which is crazy, but fun. Um, and it, it's the, this relationship as it begins is it's one of my most favorite uh, in literature moments where or passages of time where something you can really feel that something very special is happening and special meaning, you know, that there is this like longer deep friendship developing. And I just absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> I really, really, really love the way that they make Yesker just absolutely so uh, ridiculously over the top. It just, it feels absolutely like the character from the books, but he also has his own kind of quirks and uh, personality traits. So what did you think of him? Uh, funny, uh, funny guy. Uh, he definitely, I think it, he adds something that's needed to the series, which is uh, a little humor. He adds uh, some brevity as well. So, I think uh, so far I like his character. Yeah, there's definitely an element of comic relief happening with Yesker for sure. Um, and, you know, you're right. In some ways, Geralt kind of needs that because Geralt is so serious. I mean, it's, you know, you don't, if you watch the entire series backwards and forwards, Geralt smiles a handful of times. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really, it's quite telling. So, yeah, so it's kind of cool to have a character like that. Um, so the, the on sort of his way out of dismissing Yesker, Geralt is uh, contracted to do a witcher job where something, some devil has been stealing the grain. And so Yesker sets out with Geralt, um, not because Geralt wants him to, uh, but because I, I'm, I, I'm trying to understand the motivation in the series. I, I don't quite get it. Um, it kind of seems like maybe Yesker is incredibly bored uh, or, you know, he's just, he just doesn't want to continue doing what he's doing. Um, and traveling along with Geralt seems like it would give him more fuel for his stories, more, you know, more power to his muse, if you will. And the first thing that they find is this talking Sylvan. Now, the, the reason that this also feels you know, kind of over the top is because <clears throat> there's sort of no way to make this monster seem anything more than really silly. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know how you felt about it, but I felt like it was crazy silly. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. He, very silly. I mean, um, when I first saw him, I thought he was someone wearing a mask. Like, uh, I thought yeah. he was like a, a, like a fake, like, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yep. like it was someone pretending to be a creature. Uh, yeah, a devil like or something. Geralt was going to do a Scooby-Doo and let's find out who the real villain is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the, the, the I get sort of where they were going with it, but I still can't help but chuckle every time I see that scene. Um, it, this also is really similar to the same kind of uh, moral lines that we see Geralt have to struggle with in the first episode 
not so much with the are you a monster but he you know he said look you're intelligent i'll give you that but you can't stay here and his choice not to kill the sylvan ultimately is the reason that he gets to walk away from uh Levandral. so that in and of itself is kind of highly uh, you know another Geralt uh character development moment if you will I did. I, I I liked that scene. I mean, and it's oh my gosh, it, it's the scene that launched a million memes. Mm-hmm. I mean, every meme that you see has that back and forth going. So it's sort of hilarious. Uh, you know what? And let me see if I can find some of these memes. Uh, the Witcher. They're so funny. And and even even just the ones that just you know say it straight out you know did your mother screw a goat and he says did your mother screw a snowman is just so I mean it really is funny. It, I I think I think also I mean just the the outright ridiculousness of it lends itself to how ridiculous what was going on really was. Yeah. Did we? Yeah. See, there we found. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it is really funny. Mm-hmm. Um. So the what we discover is that uh, Flavandro is sort of the he's the king of the elves, the king of the elves that are left. He doesn't like that title. Um, and it's interesting because I don't know whether they will expand on this later, so I won't go too far into it. But this is part of a very long storyline in the books um, where we learn about the elves um, and what drove them away from uh, from the human settlements other than uh, the great cleansing it's it's just it, it's a there's a lot of lore that's in this but we get a small introduction to it we hear that you know Geralt tells him look, if, if you can't live here, then you need to leave. And I, I mean, again, you know, he goes back to, is it the lesser of two evils? It's something that he, it seems like is a recurring theme for the, for Geralt as a, as a character. But it also seems like this is one of those things that's like, we are supposed to understand that um, not everything is, is good where they are this there's a lot more upheaval than we see on the surface happening and that causes uh, a lot of strife so again i don't know if they're gonna do anything more with that but it you know if you want to read about it it's definitely there's a lot said about it um but it also i just didn't i mean you know again i guess from the series perspective it makes sense but it, I feel like it makes the elves look so weak. Like, and they're not. I, I, I never got that feeling from the books. I never felt like they were a weak species. But here, it just makes them seem so weak. I don't know. What did you think? Um, my, I mean, my, uh, you know what? I don't want to upset the elf community, but I've never thought of the elves as that strong. <laughs> you know, so it didn't do anything like that for me but um you know i gotta be careful because i don't want the elves to be mad at me now yeah you know they might start cutting off human ears that might be Uh-oh. a problem Uh-oh. yeah 
yeah. Um, uh, and, and, you know, just if, if we can just sort of like quickly pivot back, uh, we saw uh, Princess Sorella in a Sintra camp with uh, one of the people who, you know, clothed the finest in Sintra. And that son was wearing a necklace of elven ears. So the hostility between the races is very apparent and i mean obviously we were shown that to sort of punctuate the idea that there's absolutely this hatred between uh humans and elves now the if i can sort of again you know pivot back to the way that these things are unfolding once again you know we're working off of and it's not apparent in this episode because we don't have any dialogue cues to kind of give us uh, space and time reference, but it, it does feel a little bit like, at least in this episode, that things are happening kind of, um, things are happening uh, a, a bit protracted on Siri's side and kind of fast on Geralt's side, right? I mean, because like, the amount of time that it takes for Cirilla to get into the center camp, have, you know, a couple of long discussions, understand that there is something really nefarious happening, uh, both with Nilfgaard, but possibly that not everybody loves the queen either. Um, that, you know, maybe there were some hasty decisions made that put people at risk, uh, those kinds of things. And, you know, Siri has to learn about all of that. Uh, but that seems like it takes a long time to kind of get through. And the scenes with Geralt and Yesker seem like they happen a bit faster, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's more there there. So I think that's where you get that from. You know what I mean? Well, I, I think the point is that I'm trying to make here is that time does not seem to be applied evenly across the, the board here. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it feels like, you know, even Jennifer says weeks have gone by for this and then weeks have gone by for this. It, it feels very much like there's an interruption of time in terms of the timeline that we're being given based on the characters, mm -hmm. what they're what we are actually getting in exposition. <laughs> Speaking of exposition, well, I think one of my favorite lines of this entire uh, uh, episode was Yesker giving us a little bit of backstory about what the fields were that they had just arrived in. And he was basically just talking to no one and saying, here I am, just giving empty exposition. I love that because it's another example of them like walking all the way up to the fourth wall and tapping on it, but not breaking it completely. Right. Just. I just loved it. I, I feel like that. And they do that all the way through. So it's kind of cool. I like that. Too. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Um, so we, we learn. well, let me ask you, what do you feel like you learned about uh, this place called Artusa, Um and what the role is of these young mages are? What, what, what do you feel like they set that up to mean? I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know if I have an educated answer for that. I I, I kind of just get it. It's a, a it's a place of great power, also of great knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I also see that 
that everything is not to me it seems as if everything is not exactly what it seems to be so mm -hmm. like on there's like stuff that's happening on the surface but then there it feels like we're going to find that there's going to there's more deeper meaning to it that we don't see at this point so i don't know um uh i guess the jury's still out for me well the i think the main point in this episode was uh say his words to Jennifer about if i let you ascend and you are giving counsel to a king whose fault is it if everything goes wrong and the people rebel and and Yennefer says, it's my fault. And Saya says, no, it's my fault. And that to me sort of sets the tone about how this training, the school for young mages, what's being set up. What's being set up is they are, the mages are supposed to be advisors to the kings. And kings rely on mages as their uh, primary uh, well, not primary, but they they rely on them at court to be uh, to be strong. And, point, yeah. and I that that was sort of my only that was it, it, if every episode needs to have just something a little bit political, that felt like that was the little political uh, insert because everything else was pretty much character building. Right. And world and world building as well. And world building as well. Right. Um. So I'm not sure if, um, although they, I feel like they gave us a fairly good understanding of how this chaos magic works in this world. I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned the fact that they've taken some liberties here in the series, which I, I mean, I know are teased out drawn out far better in the series in the book series and i, I mean for obvious reasons mm -hmm. you only had eight a episodes book can do, a book can do much better right well that that's true but but yeah this is this is i don't feel like this is going to be a, a major thing that they will get into but i i do just want to sort of say that from the series point of view it when we are talking about how these characters are able to either wield magic or use it for effect. Again, you know, I go back to this idea that nobody in this place is using magic as a kind of, um, hey, let's cure all the evils of the land by just, you know, applying spells here or doing this here. It doesn't, not only doesn't it work like that, it really feels like, especially in the series, they help you to understand that it's not supported that way. Um, because that was something that I actually heard from a bunch of people. Why wouldn't they just, you know, find a mage or somebody who can do magic, even if they weren't somebody who was super powerful, and fix all the food problems or fix all of the problems that are, you know, related to being poor or whatever. And it just doesn't work that way. Like there's just you can sort of feel that there is something else that holds that back, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I would say that I would liken it to, like, a psychic can't, you know, pick the lottery numbers to help themselves, you know what I mean? Mm. So 
Yeah, it makes sense. And it makes sense. And, you know, you got to set up the world that way because then otherwise, then you would have that problem, you know, where it's like, well, just have the mage do it, you know? Right. Right. And it, and, and every, every situation is just a little bit different. So, um, the, the, I think the one other maybe, uh, piece that we didn't sort of talk about, but maybe should talk about a bit is princess Cirilla meeting this, who she calls rat boy at first, uh, in the forest and what that means. Um, you know, I think that this is also another one of my most favorite organic friendships that kind of spring up inside of the series. It it just, it feels a lot like people meet each other for very specific reasons. And this didn't feel like it just happened by chance. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So what did you think about him? Uh, well, first of all, anyone who knows me knows I hate rodents. So, oh, no. so, uh, rat boy, uh, I hate his name or the name she calls him, <laughs> the name that she calls him. Um, no, uh, it's, you know, once again, it's interesting. We're setting up alliances. We're setting up, um, the way that, you know, people interact with each other or what they can bring to the table potentially. And hmm. I feel like his character is interesting enough to where we want to know more about him. So and it was a great intro introduction, even though he's barbecuing rat in the beginning. I think it speaks to his resourcefulness and the fact that he clearly knows how to survive on his own. Because if he didn't, he, you know, I, I love her reaction. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't need that. <laughs> like that's just a thing. I thought that was actually pretty funny. Um, but we find out at the end that he's actually elf. And that seems, you know, for Dara to be an elf, it seems pretty big. You know, that doesn't seem like a small thing, especially since we know that uh, Sintra hasn't had the best experiences with elves. So that also felt pretty important. Um, by way of revelation, we, of course, find out that Yennefer is half elf as well. Um, that also kind of ties in. It is one of the reasons that Yennefer is uh, as strong as she is, as powerful as she is, is because of her half-elf blood. But it's also, you know, in a world that clearly is um, being prejudiced about people that have any kind of elven relationship, that seems pretty, um, like it's another detriment as well. Did you, do you feel that too? Yeah, elves' lives matter. Elves' lives matter. Uh, you, you do actually really feel bad for them, right? I mean, I did. Um, sure. I felt really bad for the elves community. Yeah, no, I did. I did. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, not that we saw that much of it. That's why I'm saying that, mm-hmm. you, that there's a lot more to that story. The Flavangel story is actually a really long and complicated story. It's kind of cool, um, but, uh, you know, I don't want to deviate so far away from the series that you, because there's no context for it. If they're not actually going to, they're not going to talk about it, then there's not really any way that we can kind of tie it all together. So. Right. Um, uh, 
there there's also i think in this episode there's a a, a theme that has to do with um both making alliances and understanding what those alliances really are. So we have Jennifer and Taseya, because they clearly, even if it's contentious, they clearly have some kind of bond. You know, there's something there between them. Um, and then we have Geralt and Jasper, who meet, and I'll talk about why I think Geralt allows Jasper to keep going with him in a second. And then we have uh, Princess Cirilla and Dara, who end up being, who end up, I think, be, being much closer at the end simply because Dara doesn't give up on Cirilla and rescues her at the time that Nilfgaard comes in and tries to uh, get rid of all of the rest of the survivors from the Sintra camp. <clears throat> so that actually felt pretty um, important. But I'm I'm going to start off and ask you, why do you think Geralt let Yesker stay with him, even when he said, this is where we part ways? Um, I think partly is, believe it or not, he, he enjoys his company to a certain degree. Um, being a witcher is a lonely pursuit. And I think he likes the company, even though... He, you know, he he talks about uh, I'm looking for silence and all of this stuff. I think he low key likes likes him, um, and uh, also maybe he feels like he can be of some use to him down the line. Uh, okay, so all of those things <clears throat> I think are 100 percent true, mm-hmm. um, and I also think that there was a moment at the end of the episode when Yesker said to Geralt, you don't, basically you don't change history by retelling it as it happened. And it has to do with the way that he crafted the song, toss a coin to your witcher. And he tells something different than what actually happened. And at that moment, it seems to me that Geralt remembers or understands something about what being a witcher is really all about that maybe being a witcher uh is not about just the things that you do but about the things that people think you have done and the part of this is uh is a little bit inside but also this again you know going back to this idea that destiny and fate play a huge part in what you do what can you do to actually counteract that or not counteract it but what can you do to push against it or do you actually have free will or you know all of those things and it it seems to me that that is what is sort of happening here that Geralt has has understood or come to some uh, acceptance in his own mind that he needs somebody like Yesker to tell tales of him being a great witcher, killing monsters, you know, having adventures to counteract some of the stuff that perhaps he's done in the past, like being the butcher of Lavican or, you know, some of the things that maybe he doesn't want people to really focus on. He wants people to focus on these big things, the huge things, the things that will bring him coins things that will make him money does that make sense 
No, uh, you know what? It does make sense. He's like his hype man, you know. Yeah, yep. So yeah. Okay. And every good celebrity needs a hype man. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's like uh, he's like that version of uh, his publicist. Let me go out there and extol your virtues for you. Right. Um, one last thing that I want to make sure that I talk about, because this seemed to be an issue for people who first saw this and then didn't understand what was happening. Um, to say it talks about these girls being conduits or having their conduit moments. And then at the end, we see that some of them have been turned into these eels and put into the waters of Aratusa. Um, and Yennefer says they're conduits for Aratusa. That is, it's a little bit removed from the series in terms of how they explain it, but it's pretty central to this idea that people are conduits for chaos magic. And conduit, the chaos magic itself flows through you, whether you're using it or not. And so by turning them into eels, they, in other words, they didn't have the right stuff to become advisors to kings and, you know, great people out in the world to represent, uh, to represent magic, to represent whatever. But they are powerful enough that they don't want to lose that. They don't want to, um, what's a good word for that? They don't want to waste the potential that is there. And so they use it in the, in this, in the waters around Aratusa as basically conduit for more chaos. So does that, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I hope it does. No, it makes, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense in the context of this show. Uh, I don't know. I mean, in a, in a real world sense, um, I don't know if it would make as much sense, but yeah, no, I, I understand what you would. I mean, I understood, you know, from the episode as well as hearing you talk about it, it actually gives more insight into what's going on with that. It's not that they weren't good enough. It's mm -hmm. that they, it's that they weren't the right good enough. Mm -hmm. So they still had lots of potential, but they didn't have the potential that say it was looking for that. Right. I, that's sort of the bottom line. So. So I, I, I feel like, you know, this episode was actually a really good one. It, again, you know, production value wise, I just love all the little touches in this series. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. It's not super heavy, but there's so much going on that it always feels like there's something new to see. Every time I rewatch this, I feel like, wow, there's something I missed. Um, and the, this is also super interesting. What's up on the screen right now is everybody looking at the lightning because, oh my God, wow, this is amazing. And Yennefer looking down. Yennefer is not able to even look at the lightning because there is too much, because for her, it's, it's too much. There is too much happening. It's too overwhelming. And even all of the other girls who have to feel like there's something super powerful happening here as well, they look up at it and embrace it, and Yennefer looks down from it. That, I mean, little things like that make me super happy because they tell a visual story that requires zero dialogue to say. Just, this is how things are. I love that. And the series is just filled with them, but this episode really did a good job with that. It's called it's called show and not tell show and not tell yes indeed so so i i, I mean again my overall uh my overall 
feelings about this episode were it was really good i liked this episode a lot it it felt at the beginning like it might be a little bit you know oh kind of not maybe as exciting but i feel like they covered a lot of ground in this episode what did you think no yeah uh it was a good number two episode after that the you know the premiere which was intense and all of that this was a good kind of transition story i don't want to say transition but a good you know follow-up to that very character building right yeah so and and it it was entertaining enough too during that process so it wasn't just character building where you're like you know you were definitely i was never bored so yeah this episode for me went by super fast oh yeah very much so yeah yeah all right. So, uh, Jen, how can we get to you in social media? You can find me on Twitter at following bliss one, and you can check out my websites at moviesmakethemeal.com and studiowhitewolf.com. That's in development. So don't expect too much of it, but it's getting there. All right. All right. All right. Uh, and of course you can get to me at Kente F on Twitter Kente Ferguson, that's K-I-N-T-E-F-E-R-G-E-R-S-O-N on Instagram. And of course, the website is IndyRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y-Radio.org. And uh, we will be back, of course, with a new episode uh, talking about uh, this series from Netflix, The Witcher. Uh, I want you guys to enjoy what's left of your weekend. And God bless you.